Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Ben Siegel. So with Purim around the corner, um, I wanted to take a look at one of the mitzvot of Purim and kind of dissect it a little more, try and hopefully bring a little more meaning into um, the particular mitzvah. Um, so we'll start out taking a look at where this mitzvah comes from, um, both in the Megillah and then into the halachic literature that um, kind of undergirds how we understand um, the mitzvah today. And then we're going to take a completely different turn and take a look at um, something in the um, in Masechet Megillah, which is somewhat, a, the Masechet is somewhat about, okay, so um, we'll take a look at um, Masechet Megillah, um, and there's a story in there that is probably at first glance not have, does not have anything to do with um, the holiday of Purim, but we'll kind of dissect that. So, um, because I would say that it has everything to do with the holiday of Purim and every day of our lives. So if I can get, um, actually, I think probably best if I'm doing reading just um, in terms of those on Zoom. So we'll go through the text and I'm going to go through these first two texts very quickly um, and we'll dive into the third larger chunk. So um, the what we're going to be talking about is Matanot Le'Avionim, and it comes from towards the end of the Megillah. Um, this one verse is the entire undergirding of it, which says, um, the same days on which the Jews enjoyed relief from their foes and the same months which had been transformed for them from ones of grief and mourning to ones of festive joy. Um, they were to observe them as days of feasting, uh, which is where we get the idea of a Purim Suda and merrymaking and as an occasion for sending gifts to one another, which are mishloach manot, and presents to the poor, which in, in the Hebrew you can see is literally matanot le'avionim. Regardless, um, so this is the entire undergirding of the, um, the mitzvah of um, matanot le'avionim. And um, when you get into the, uh, when you get into the halachic codes, um, Shulchan Aruch, which is our major halachic code that uh, we rely on, um, has to say regarding this exactly these three lines or two lines in the Hebrew, which is that one is not exacting with their money on Purim. Rather, one should give to anyone who extends their hand. And in places where they have a custom to give um, to non-Jews, one should give. That's the entirety of the, the mitzvah. There, there's no more, at least in Shulchan Aruch, that really has to do with it. There's certainly more literature on it, but this is the basis of the entire um, of the entire mitzvah. So I want to dive into this larger text, which um, you'll probably you I have taught it before in a completely different way um, on a Temple Beth Am email, and I will teach it again because it is by far my favorite. So yeah, in the entirety of um, the Talmud. But, um, but yeah, um, but I want to take a look at it in the framework of Purim. So, um, with that in mind, um, 
It says, um, one who is blind may recite the, recite the introductory prayers and blessing before the Shema. And he may also, the, all these, um, just before I dive in any further, the bolded words are what are actually coming from the text, the um, Aramaic or Hebrew text. And then the um, non-bolded is um, Rabbi Steinzaltz's commentary, which is largely based on Rashi and Tosfot, the commentaries on the Talmud, um, to make sense of it and help us understand it with um, the modern English, English language. So one who is blind may recite the introductory prayers and blessing before the Shema, uh, and they may also translate the Torah reading into Aramaic. Uh, Rabbi Yehuda says anyone who has not seen the luminaries in his life may not recite the first blessing before the Shema, which is a blessing over the luminaries. This idea, so this is the Mishnah that this entire uh, Masachet is, or this entire Suya is going on about, um, which came a little bit before and it's being restated now. Um, only a little bit of it is actually restated, but um, Rabbi Steinsaltz gives us the entirety of it so we can understand the conversation as it's going on. Um, it is taught in a Baraita that they said to Rabbi Yehuda, many have seen um, enough with their mind to expound upon the divine chariot, um, although they have never actually seen it. Similarly, even one who has never seen the luminaries may recite the blessing. And how does Rabbi Yehuda counter this argument? He can say that there, with regard to the chariot, the matter depends upon the heart's comprehension, and one can concentrate his mind and understand the chariot, even if he has never actually seen it. But here, with regard to the luminaries, the blessing is recited due to the benefit one derives from them, and one who is blind does not derive any benefit from them, and therefore may not recite a blessing over them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're talking about the blessings before the Shema, which talk about um, the, the light. Like, they talk about um, the sun, the moon, and how it can set up a how it sets up our day for us essentially and so there's this question that's going on about whether or not someone who's blind and therefore can't actually see the sun the moon etc doesn't whether or not they benefit from having physical light in their lives or not yeah it's the blessing immediately after barhu and there's a couple more in there as well that depending on whether your date or your weekday or Shabbat, um, they all have to do with this idea of having benefiting from the sun, the moon, and the light that they give us. That's their understanding of it in this conversation. That's my understanding is that they are really discussing whether or not someone who does not benefit from the light specifically can say those blessings on behalf of the entire congregation because they don't actually derive benefit from it. Right. They knew that the sun gives us heat, but they they wouldn't necessarily have known about all these other things that are also also a benefit. So, um, real quickly, because um, the conversation is that's going on here is important, but the next piece I think is the most important to understanding this mitzvah. Um, what? How is Rabbi Yehuda explaining his argument? Like, what, what's the crux of his argument? How does he understand why a blind person wouldn't be able to deride or wouldn't be able to say this bracha on behalf of the entire community? He doesn't derive any benefit from it. Great. He doesn't derive any benefit from it. 
And that, that's a lot more straightforward, I think, at first look. Why, why are the rabbis saying, no, he, this person actually can say it on behalf of the community? How, how do they get to understand that? So they can feel the heat of the sun. That could be one thing, potentially. Other thoughts? And those on Zoom, you're also welcome to chime in. Or let me rephrase that. Why would they potentially disagree with Rabbi Yehuda? This is going into this whole um, chariot argument, which is talking about the chariot that's described in um, Yechezkel and Ezekiel. Um, it's not something that we're necessarily, I don't want to go too far into that, but I think it's important to at least put that context up. Because you can't see it. Just to be explained okay. to you. Great. Just you don't live in a vacuum. You look at people who explain to you what life is, what day is like. Great. So we live, we don't live in a vacuum, and we can have things explained to us, even if we don't necessarily understand them ourselves fully. Um, people have all sorts of different life experiences that we can still understand without actually, to some extent at least, without actually going through. Yeah, the other side of it, which I think is what they're starting with, is that even if you don't understand something, you can be grateful for it. Even if you don't understand something, you can be grateful for it. Wonderful. So um, for the sake of time, um, I'm going to move on, but there's a whole separate conversation that we could really dive into here. Um, so we're going to get this story that comes up, and this is really what I want to spend a few minutes on. <laughs> um, and the rabbis maintain that even a blind man derives benefit from the luminaries in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. As it is taught in a Baraita that Rabbi Yossi said, all of my life I was troubled by this verse, which I did not understand. And you shall grope in Num as the blind man gropes in the darkness. This is part of the Tochacha at the end of Deuteronomy. I was perplexed. What does it matter to a blind person whether it is dark or light? He cannot see it in, see in any event. So why does the verse speak about a blind man in the darkness? I continued to ponder the matter until the following incident occurred to me. I was walking in the absolute darkness of the night, and I saw a blind man who was walking on his way with a torch in his hands. I said to him, my son, why do you need this torch if you are blind? He said to me, as long as I have the torch in my hand, people see me and they save me from the pits and the thorns and the thistles that even a blind man derives at least indirect benefit from the light and therefore may recite the blessing over the heavenly luminaries. This is where the sugya ends. It goes on to a different Mishnah after this. This is the rabbinic mic drop, if you will. So what does this story have to say about benefit and, and how we should understand benefit from things? Great. You never really know what the benefit could be. It could be an indirect benefit that's still helpful, even if it's not the same way that other people are benefiting. To judge charitably, not harshly. Yeah, AJ? Great. So what, just so I can re repeat it so that those on Zoom can hear, AJ was saying that um, it, it ties back into this, these previous texts, 
that um, they're giving of something, um, th these people who are helping the blind person, that um, they could just sit around and watch this person run into all sorts of different, um, into the thorns, into the thistles, but instead they're giving. Um, it's unclear at first glance, at least, what their benefit may be, but it certainly is helping out the blind person in this case. Okay, so one of the possible benefits could be that they're, that these people who are helping out also get their way lit. Great. Yeah, we, we absolutely could say to the extent that we help one another, we all benefit. Very leftist one. <laughs> um, what, what does, so I, I want to circle back. So AJ was headed in that direction anyways, and I want to walk down it a little more um, about these previous texts. What does it have to say about asking for help? What does the text have to say about that? And what does it have to say about offering help? Specifically, how should, how should help be offered in the case that it may be requested? And how should help be requested if it's going to be requested? We need to be generous. We need if to be generous. If, if they ask for the help, give it. Great. Yeah, Rabbi Chorney. So, Wonderful. Um, thank you for, um, it talks about the, just to, Rabbi Chorney was talking about how it talks about how there are social signals to ask for help. Um, we have, when it comes to mourning, we have uh, ripped clothing or ripped uh, ribbon to say, I'm in mourning and I could be in use of, and I could be um, of need of any number of things. And similarly, we may also want to consider setting up these social signals in terms of I can offer X, Y, Z. Um, and that that's how that's what's going on here, essentially, is a social signal of the blind person saying, I need help. Um, but I'm, AJ, what did you want to say? Great. So. So it's a proactive request for help as well. Wonderful. So I'm going to, for the sake of time, wrap this up so that we can bench and then move into Marif. But um, to kind of tie this back into Purim, um, once again, I have this text here about how um, we should give to anyone who extends their hands, right? And that's what's going on in this suya is someone's literally extending their hand with a torch saying, I need help. Um, with Purim, we're obligated to give Matanot Labianim, and we can give them to anyone who asks for help. Um, and furthermore, as we see, that they should be asked, um, people ideally will be asking for help, um, and we should be stepping in to help them. And, um, and that's wonderful, but there's more to this equation um, because we need to experience this, the humanity that's going through it as well. Um, what happens here is not just that there's someone with a torch in their hand and they're magically helped. The specific text is people see me and they, then they save me. And there's a sense that I get, at least from the text, that there's some physical understand or there's some visceral understanding of the humanity of the other person in this moment too. It's not just the act of helping it's the act of seeing the other person as a human being and then helping them because they're another human who is requesting help 
And so in that sense, um, I bless us all that we're able to um, see the other humans that we interact with and the humanity that's within them, see their proverbial torches and help them as they need help, both this Purim and every day of our lives. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.